0: This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC.
1: And come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks.
0: Women's WCHA.
1: So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies
0: the National Hockey League.
1: Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to
0: back to episode number 58 of the huskies warming house podcast i'm noah grant joined alongside nick Maxon, and and we are back after a week off a week hiatus and we have a lot of fun things to dissect we missed a lot in the hockey world that we're going to get you caught up with in the huskies illustrated weekly roundup of course a lot of milestone things happening unfortunately a lot of leagues that are canceling or rearranging their plans a bunch of nhl trade deadline news and then we're going to jump into some men's hockey after that talk about what it means for St. Cloud State, Uh, some players that are staying, some players that are leaving, taking a look at the schedule, and then stick around for a a quote-unquote new segment, if you will, the Huskies Warming House Extra Ice Session, in which we'll talk about a a topic that we'll do a deep dive in at the end of the show. Should be a good one, and we'll get started with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to CenterIceView.com.
1: Getting things going on the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Starting on the international stage, the Double uh, IHF has abruptly. Cancel the women's world championship in Halifax and Truro, which was set to start on May the sixth. The timing and lack of a contingency plan has sparked outrage in the women's hockey community, including statements from American standout Taylor Knight and Kendall Coyne Schofield. remarking on the IIHF treating women's hockey as "quote an afterthought." IIHF President Renee Fassel said that the organization didn't have a safety net in place because there didn't appear to be a need for one. Staying in Canada, the 2021 Memorial Cup has been cancelled, marking the second straight year that the trophy will not be awarded. The Canadian Hockey League announced in a statement, regrettably, we do not see a path in which we will be able to produce champions in our three-member leagues due to border restrictions and quarantining requirements. The Ontario Hockey League also cancelled their season last week. It was the only major junior league to have never started play this year. The leagues will start to look towards next fall as next season rolls around when the NHL hopes to start the regular season play on October the 12th with a full 82 game schedule. Training camps would open on September 22nd, which would include the addition of the NHL's 32nd team, the Seattle Kraken.
0: Speaking of those Seattle Kraken, Nick, an intriguing lawsuit has come out of the future addition of Seattle's franchise to the National Hockey League. A beloved punk rock bar named the Kraken Bar and Lounge did file a lawsuit in King County Superior Court alleging trademark infringement and torturous inference. No idea what that means, but apparently the establishment, which opened in 2011 is seeking $3.5 million and says the Seattle Kraken Hockey Club has irreparably damaged its brand. According to the Seattle Times at issue is the team name itself, as well as the fact that the NHL organization plans to open a restaurant called the Kraken Bar and Grill at its, practice facility this fall. The latter was the final straw for the existing bar owners and their lawsuit said that they had to put up with the team name amid numerous new customers showing up in hockey apparel, which would be in contrast to the bar's typical music crowd. The Kraken bar's regular patrons frequented the bar precisely because it was a dive bar associated with affordable food and drinks, as well as cutting edge live music performances by well-known punk and metal bands. The existing establishment wants the team to be prevented from using the Kraken moniker and any additional names that could be mistaken for its own trademarks the bar owners also claim the team team's newly planned restaurant is quote sure to ruin the kraken bar and its near decade old cherished image and reputation as one of seattle's last dive bars end quote according to the lawsuit
1: Moving back into the NHL, it was a busy two weeks for the league as the college hockey season came to a close on April 11th. Uh, former North Dakota Fighting Hawk Shane Pinto made his NHL debut about a week ago in Ottawa, and the trade deadline came and went. A notable move since our last show, Columbus, shipped out for Nick Foligno to Toronto for a first-round pick this June and a 2022 fourth-round selection. Carl Soderberg was also shipped from Chicago back to Colorado where he spent time before earlier in his career. Three of the big fish on the block also found new homes. Los Angeles dealt center Jeff Carter to Pittsburgh for a third and fourth round pick. Boston nabbed Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar from Buffalo in exchange for a second round selection. And former Notre Dame fighting Irish forward Anders Bjork and Sam Bennett went to Florida from Calgary. And the final trade of the deadline was a big one. Jacob Verana, richard Ponick a first and second round pick all to Detroit, while the Washington Capitals picked up the electric forward in Anthony Mantha just to add on that one there andrews bjork was part of that trade going back to buffalo in the taylor
0: hall trade noah grant uh not the best writer but he'll bring you this one here last monday san jose sharks forward patrick marlowe broke gordie howe's long-standing record of most games played in the national hockey league playing in his 1768th game against vegas the record which has been active since 1980 was broken by the 41 year old marlowe who was in his 23rd nhl season in 21 of those seasons with the sharks he currently has 566 career goals and the Sharks veteran began his career with San Jose on October 1st, 1997 after going second overall in that year's draft. Nick, to put that in perspective, the Hartford Whalers moved to Carolina that year. Nashville, Minnesota, and the Atlanta thrashers slash Winnipeg Jets 2.0 didn't even exist yet. Mario Lemieux won the Art Ross Trophy. The Florida Marlins were weeks away from their first World Series. And the last year of the Chicago Bulls dynasty featuring Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman was in full effect. The most popular show on TV was the final season of Seinfeld. The movie Titanic would come out months later, and the top spot on the billboards was boys to men's four seasons of loneliness. Marlo, who has eight points in 44 games this year, faced a Vegas club that will not play 1,668 total games as a franchise until sometime around the start of the 2039 NHL season.
1: I wonder if I'll be alive by then. In other (laughs) records, Pittsburgh superstar Sidney Crosby joined historic companies, he tallied his 16th straight point-per-game season yesterday. Only Gordie Howell and Wink Gretzky have managed more seasons with a point-per-game pace with 17 and 19, respectively. In Washington, defenseman Zidane Chara became the fifth defenseman and 13th player in NHL history to reach the 1600-game mark. Selected in the 1996 draft, Chara joins defenseman Chris Chelios, Scott Stevens, Larry Murphy, and Ray Bork in the 1600-game club. In Florida, fellow Blue liner Keith Yandel earned sole possession of second place on the NHL's Iron Man list, playing in his 915th consecutive game yesterday, passing Gary Unger. Doug Jarvis holds the all-time record at 964 games. Yandel has not missed a single game since the 2008-2009 season. I also haven't missed a single game either, Nick. I've just been
0: watching them on the TV. Speaking of the TV in local news, the Minnesota Wild are the latest club to clinch a playoff berth after their 6 3 victory yesterday over San Jose. Vegas and Colorado are the only other teams that have already punched their ticket to the postseason in the West. The Wild have ridden the hot streak of rookie sensation Kirill Kaprizov, who became the first Wild rookie to score 20 goals in a season and tally four consecutive games with a point after passing Marion Gabrick, who had 19 goals in a full 82 two-game season. Kaprizov looks to add on to his 22 goals and 41 points during this week's action, which features a three-game
1: stint against St. Louis starting Wednesday. In our penultimate topic for you this afternoon, there will be a bevy of NHL extensions at the trade deadline. We'll all-time Wild inked a bottom six forward Ryan Hartman to a three-year $1.7 million average annual deal. while Winnipeg inked Adam Lowry to a five-year $16 and a quarter million extension. Los Angeles added former Duluth Bulldog Alexiah Follow to a four-year $16 million deal. Arizona nabbed Ilya Labushkin to a one-year extension, and Edmonton signed Dylan Holloway to an entry-level contract. Holloway was the Oilers' first-round pick in the 2020 draft. Out East, Washington extended forward Karen Sherry. Philadelphia net forward, Scott Lawton, for five more years, and Florida signed former New Jersey Devil Nikita Gusev to a one-year, $1 million deal. In the final
0: topic of our weekly roundup, more injuries continue to litter the National Hockey League. Uh, West Anaheim's Jakob Silverberg will miss six months after hip surgery. Edmonton's Zach Cassian is week-to-week with a lower body ailment. And Dallas, unfortunately, will be without goalshunter Ben Bishop and forward Alexander Radulov for the rest of the year. In the East, Montreal netminder Carey Price is still dealing with a concussion. Toronto is without both defenseman Zach Bogosian for four weeks because of his shoulder, as well as forward Zach Hyman for two weeks with an ACL sprain. Tampa Bay is missing forward Steven Stamkos, who is likely to miss at least a month with a lower body issue. Detroit's Dylan Larkin and Buffalo's Jack Eichel are both done for the year. And the Sabres are also without goaltender Linus Olmark, who is week to week with a lower body injury. Lastly, the Washington Capitals missed a familiar face, Alexandro Ovechkin, for the first time since 2015, as he was forced out of yesterday's game on Saturday with a lower body concern. The grade eight is listed as day-to-day. And once again, welcome into episode number 58. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host Nick Maxson. Nick, we've got a lot to get to uh, just in general in the hockey world of course having a week off first off let's start with you though uh what the heck did you do on your week off did you sit around did you have a couple of uh alcoholic beverages like
1: what what was the plan for nick
0: Maxon on his uh rare
1: sunday off uh not much uh, still have uh, some classwork to get done uh the end of the semester is coming up in a couple of weeks so projects are, are coming due so not a whole lot of uh, laying around for me just yet. Still uh, trying to get to the finish line first before we can relax. But, uh, you know, honestly, I'm also trying to enjoy a little bit of the weather. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's been up and down here in the Twin Cities. Uh, but uh, at the end of it, just still trying to power through. Uh, you were pretty busy, though, up there in North <laughs> Dakota. There, know if you want to tell the fans what uh, you did over the last week. Yeah. Well, I've got my ACHA jacket on here. And of course you got the NCHC and the
0: WCHA logos behind me. So who knows how much trademarking nightmares we're going to get into as far as being sued by somebody. Uh, no, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, so for those who didn't know, um, I was calling the ACHA women's division one national hockey tournament, which was here in Minot. Uh, it was 12 games in five days. So we called 720 minutes of hockey in those five days. The first four days were 10 hour days at the rink. And the last day was a five hour day. So it was a lot of hockey in a short time. Uh, a lot of cool things came out of it, though. Uh, potentially, I might be doing color commentary um, for the Minot Minotauros and the NHL for the next couple of years as a result of uh, someone listening in on that tournament. Uh, and I got asked to do uh, a couple of developmental things with some of the hockey programs that came through. I met a lot of great people, a lot of great coaches. And I don't know, it was just a really fun experience. And it was kind of weird when I, when I was getting ready to, to put the notes together for the show, uh, specifically for the weekly roundup. And like, I don't know, it just felt like we haven't done this show in forever. And I I kind of, for the first time, started to realize like how hard we were going, especially during playoff time with men's hockey. Like, I know that sounds like kind of obvious, but I don't know. It just was like, we, we put a lot of <laughs> time and energy into this show that sometimes you don't realize until you take a week off. But speaking of that, Nick, uh, one of the things that we are going to add, actually two things. First of all, uh, for the fans, as they say, Two-line fan trivia, Uh, season two is going to start this week uh, on May 1st, Saturday, May 1st at 12 p.m., and it's going to run through November 18th. Of course, men's hockey season starts on November 5th, but May 1st through November 18th, that is 25 weeks, if my math is correct, in which you have a chance to win. If you are a first time winner, you will get a hat from the Huskies Warming House podcast. And of course, if you've already won before, either in season one or season two, you already have your hat, so congratulations. But the reason I mentioned this change is because for season two, unlike season number one, Uh, We are not going to have eligibility restrictions where if you win one week, you have to sit out the next week to give someone else a chance. It is a free for all. Every week, everyone is going to be eligible for season two of trivia. I think we're at that point now. Congratulations to Brody Falconer, who was our season one trivia winner. Uh, I got a feeling maybe Tinner Heath might be setting some alarms and have a good push for season number two. Once again, May 1st through November 18th, 25 weeks that you'll have a chance to be a winner. From the huskies warming house podcast the other thing that we're going to add as well to nick is uh, something that we're going to try to kind of roll out here and that is going to be called the Huskies Warming House Extra Ice Session. And what that is going to be is that after our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, around the 40 minute mark of each show, uh, we're gonna kind of quote unquote end the regular portion of the show. And that's where we're gonna do a deep dive into a topic or a discussion, uh, either from the show or a new topic to end the show. We're gonna try to keep the shows around an hour uh, if we can for our Sunday show. So with that, uh, Nick, I kind of had you sitting there just looking pretty unfortunately. So let's ask your opinion here since you probably know A little bit more about this than I do. Uh, let's talk about uh, the men's hockey team for St. Cloud State. We've got a couple players that are staying, a couple players that are leaving. I don't know if the people that are leaving were that surprising, but a couple players, I think St. Cloud State's happy to have them back in a Huskies
1: uniform for another year. 100%. Uh, I think the, the couple of big ones that show up would be Eastern Brodzinski as well as Kevin Fitzgerald, who have confirmed that they will be returning. Uh, Luke Jacobs also coming back. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, Sam Henches and Nick Purbix apparently had talks with their respective teams, the Minnesota Wild and the Tampa Bay Lightning, respectively. Uh, from what we know is that they are deciding to return to the Huskies again for next year. Uh, and the, the departures, if you want to call it so far, what we know is going to be defenseman Tyler Anderson, but he is going on to medical school. So congratulations to Tyler. And then also for Will Hammer, uh, who had an internship lined up for the future part of his career. Um, he's accepted that. So he will not return for 2021, 22, but uh, I would think for Huskies fans, you know, for the folks that are returning uh, you know, that's some pretty good news. The one piece that we do not have an answer on right now is goaltender, David Rennick. Again, he is a Los Angeles Kings draft pick. Uh, supposedly he is in talks with them and apparently still trying to decide his future. Um, so That is the last piece of the puzzle. I think we're still waiting for confirmation on, but I think we still have a pretty good picture of what's happening here so far, Noah. Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: Uh, I think the thing for David Rennick is, uh, and one thing that might work in St. Cloud State hockey fans' favor potentially, I guess it could go either way depending on how he looks at the situation. You've got a Los Angeles Kings club that one isn't very good, not going to be making a playoff push, I don't think. Um the other thing though as a goaltender is do you believe that you can fit into that lineup right away and make an impact? Do you believe that you're going to be the guy that can make that jump right away? Uh so I think that's kind of what maybe is going through David's head of course Jonathan Quick getting up there in years and kind of moving on from uh, I don't think Los Angeles is going to re-sign him. And if they do, it'll be probably in a backup role or a team-friendly deal. The other person I think that uh, we mentioned, I guess, is a quote-unquote departure, if you will, would be Jared Cockrell. I saw that he had a point, uh, his first point, with the Wheeling Nailers uh, the other night. Uh, of course, his team lost 5-2 to two in that contest. So congratulations to him for his per- first professional point as well. Yeah, I-, I think the the one that I was, I don't know, surprised but just really happy to see him back was nick Perbix because i think there's a guy that maybe and that's no offense to anybody else i just think he's a guy that maybe is ready to be close to making that jump to the national hockey league but i think a year of development will continue to serve him well um and he could be a real breakout candidate next year i'd like to see um you know a player that was going to stay hopefully anyway, that's Vieti Vietnin. I'd like to see his game continue to grow. Maybe he gets a little bit stronger. Uh, I'd like to see him spend some time with Yami Kranila, maybe get a little bit bigger in the weight room and kind of have the sophomore season that Kranila had this year, uh, you know, helping them out as fellow Finns. But Nick next year is right around the corner or so it feels like it feels like we just got done with the men's hockey season and we're already talking about the newly released schedule for the NCHC that came out 24 games, 24 conference games on the docket so far, uh, four games. Of course, that's two weekend series versus every team in the NCHC, except for Miami and Denver, who are kind of plugged in the middle of that schedule season starts November 5th versus Colorado college. St. Cloud state, I believe will be the first team that will kind of christen the new brand new arena in Colorado college. If I'm not mistaken, of course, they got a new head coach there and then the season will end at, as usual, March 5th, up at Amsoil Arena at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Nick, I know it's probably a pretty cut and dry schedule. I guess my two questions are, one, what do you think of the schedule? And do you think there will be any additions at any point to the schedule, barring you know COVID? Do you think there'll be a holiday tournament? Do you think there'll be more to the schedule than the 24 games
1: we see? Yes. Uh, you know, As far as overall schedule, yes. Um, obviously, conference schedule, that's set in stone. Um, but I, I would think that no question, you know, the exhibition schedule um, has been kind of been rumored that St. Cloud will be playing Mankato. Uh, there's also maybe talks of a home and home series with the Minnesota Gophers, so uh, kind of where we got our start you know, last year when we talked to Bob Motzko, when we talked to Don Lucia of the, of the CCHA, and then also Brett Larson, that there seemed to be a collaborative effort to try to get some of these old rivalries, these institute rivalries that are not in the same conference to play each other, um, and they talked about using that exhibition schedule It sounds like the rumors are is like that's actually starting to come to fruition obviously that hasn't been officially announced yet but there's a, a even bruce Siski, also from duluth uh you know has a, also chimed in and saying he's hearing the same thing so i think there is some traction here and i, I would love to see uh this schedule happen if that is true yeah is there is there a particular
0: rivalry like when you go back obviously to the old WCHA is there a particular uh you know maybe one or two teams that you would really like to see make a visit to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center or vice versa uh
1: um, Mankato won for sure the Gophers too and I would even like to see Wisconsin honestly um I think those are the three clubs that I think would would draw some fans so I know that as far as you know name recognition those are the big ones and I know. Uh, for any Gophers fans out there, if, you know, North Dakota would make a trip down to Mariucci and the Gophers back up to uh, Ralph Engelstead, that, that would uh, draw some, some nice uh, exhibition interaction between those two very passionate fan bases. So um, it can only go up from here. So I really do hope that that continues to, to have some wheels turn and get some traction on that. Yeah, I know we talked about this uh, quite extensively last summer. So
0: I was at uh, that that Thanksgiving day game that was North Dakota versus Minnesota, where North Dakota walked all over the Gophers. I can just hear Huskies fans saying, we hate both of those teams, so nobody wins when somebody wins. But um, I, the, the one thing that was insane, and I, I guess I can reveal this, is that we sat, my dad and I sat at center ice, you know, right pretty much up right where the concourse level is. We were like two seats down right on the center ice line and the tickets combined were like $220 for two tickets, you know, combined. And that's just absurd for a college hockey game, especially on Thanksgiving. So again, I think that there's a piece there that how do these teams generate revenue? How do they generate interest, but also kind of stay within the constraints of making it still a family friendly thing. You know, the big thing for us was, you know, my dad and I, the closest we ever got to actually seeing North Dakota play Minnesota as a kid was actually 2006. We were hoping that, you know, Minnesota was going to take care of Holy Cross and end up facing uh, North Dakota, who I believe beat Michigan in that uh, regional tournament in Grand Forks. So I'm I don't know. It's just. College hockey just, I think, has a lot of work to be done, like we've talked about with that. But speaking of a lot of work to be done, Nick, one topic that we also kind of took note of, and we mentioned in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, is the fact that the Women's World Championships were abruptly canceled. They were supposed to start on May 6th. Um, and it really seems like the IIHF didn't really have contingency plans in place. Um you know, kind of leaving the sport as somewhat of an afterthought, unfortunately, for women's hockey. Um, I think to put it plainly, you and I said before the show and pardon my French, uh, the IHF HF just kind of pretty much said we don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I mean, what, what was your reaction to
1: that? Because for me, I, I was pretty ticked off by it. Uh, Pretty upset, uh, you know, and I'm kind of surprised a little bit because if you think, you know, would they really have, this sort of planning if it were the men's no Mm -hmm. um you know that they would have taken more into consideration a the the placement of the original tournament you know would there be restrictions there's a whole lot of pre-planning that's involved talking to officials to try to prevent this sort of thing and you know darn well as i do there would have been a contingency plan in place um with the women's side the fact that now you know so it's one thing no one i should preface this too it's willing to have you know uh a cancellation, not have a contingency plan, but also then to go, okay, yeah, we did have a backup plan, but now we need to find figure out something. The fact that they didn't even go that far to say, yeah, we didn't have one, but we're going to try to figure this out. The fact that there hasn't been any language, again, I think Ken Coyne, Schofield and uh, uh, Hillary Knight are right on, they don't care. Um, and that's horrible for women's hockey. Um, I believe Dallas, if I remember correctly, actually kind of, you know, raised a hand if you want to call the city of Dallas and said, you know, we're willing to, to try to make this work if we can. I'm not sure how much push or leverage they would have in, in, in making that happen, but uh, terrible for the athletes, terrible for the look for the double IHF and a very, you know, not so uh, you know, good look for um, anybody that's involved. And it certainly just hurts, the, obviously, the athletes and the teams involved. So uh, just not great uh, news for the hockey world yeah i
0: think if i remember right it was something like just under 260 players that you know pretty much are going back home you know some of those players had started that eight-day quarantine process and started to kind of go through those sorts of things and it's like i uh, i think it was uh, like you mentioned i think it was Kendall Coyne coin that said the best there's 250 players that are going home that the best answer they got was well we don't know we weren't prepared you know it's not going to be a thing and that's Again, like you mentioned, um, when I was talking with a couple of women's hockey coaches last weekend at the ACHA tournament, uh, we kind of talked about the growth of the game. And, you know, it was interesting to be playing a tournament in the later parts of April, as far as college hockey, especially women's college hockey was concerned. But then you talk about the viability of the sport. And it just seems like you take two steps forward and one and a half steps back uh, when it comes to women's hockey. And the problem is so cyclic because they just never really afford an opportunity for you know these sorts of programs to really start to get going and i don't know i was really frustrated by it i figure figured we'd give it at least a couple minutes to talk about that because i don't know it's just things like that that are uh, so mind-blowingly aggravating why like you mentioned the biggest thing is you know it's one thing if the men's and women's worlds are both in the same page, right? Where they say, Hey, they're both in Toronto. All of a sudden we've got this huge, you know, COVID outbreak or whatever it is. We can't do it, but we're going to move it over to Edmonton or we're going to move it to Buffalo, New York. That's one thing. But like you mentioned, no parody related to the men's tournament. And number two, uh, no, no secondary plan. I would say of all the two years in world history to have a secondary plan for any and all events that you schedule 2020 and 2021 would be, uh, some pretty good years to maybe think
1: about a backup plan for a lot of things. Um, it's just unacceptable. Honestly, yeah, it's yeah. Just, Is from, it's, it, and it, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's the 250 athletes that really heard from this, but, you know, it, you talk about the growth of the game, but what does that say to the athletes, you know, that, that spent all the time training and trying to get through this, that, you know, all this hard work and, you know, the excitement to try to get to the stage and then they get sent home with really just like, well, We didn't plan for it. And especially, like you said, we're in a, you know, it's been 14 months essentially coming up here quick about dealing with this pandemic. How the heck do you not have a secondary plan? It just speaks very loudly to how, you know, the AAHF honestly is treating women's hockey and it's just, uh, it's just horrible and unacceptable. Yeah. Just
0: disappointing. Speaking of treatment, Nick, the other topic, uh, one of them that we had in the weekly roundup that I want to get your opinion on, because I'm kind of on the fence about this one. And that was the story about the Seattle Kraken uh, and the Kraken bar and grill or the, that dive bar that is suing the Kraken for $3.5 million. Now I don't know about the money amount. That one's kind of iffy for me. That's a lot of money. I, uh, but in some respects, I guess I can kind of understand the bar's position—they're uh, not a sports bar. That's not what they do. Uh, they're a dive bar. Um, I guess it's not a bad thing that new patrons are coming in, but I think the problem was that new patrons are coming in expecting it to be like a Seattle Kraken-themed, you know, bar, and they're like, "Well, no, we do punk bands and metal bands, and we do rock, and it's a dive bar, and that's kind of what we do." So, what were your thoughts on this? Do you think the bar has any sort of a case? Do you think they're, you
1: know, no, you don't think so? No. Um, you know, trademark infringement is, is very weird, um, you know, in a case. And unfortunately for this bar, when you're going up against a, a huge business, that's the NHL, they're not going to win this case. Uh, number two, uh, the argument that their patrons are coming in, that's not something anybody can handle, right? So all the NHL has to argue is, well, what if, you know, these people who are visiting don't know who you are, just walk in and say, oh that's a punk band. Well, just because you single out the people who are wearing a Kraken jersey and now you're complaining about that, that's not an argument's sake. Um, so essentially what, what, their, what their argument is, is that, hey, you're, you're changing our business plan, you're confusing our patrons. Uh, at the end of it, that's not something anybody can control. So uh, at the end of it, I, I think they lose this case. Um, I, I understand for them, you know, they're seeing a changing business model and uh, it's it's sad. I mean, I'm never in a, a person that says, you know, I want to see a business go under. And especially for one that seems to have a pretty tried and true identity about who they are. Um, but in a, in, a, in a case like this, I think they're swimming upstream uh, legally in this case.
0: Yeah. One of the words, apparently I pronounced it wrong because I can't read. Shocker. Uh, it's tortious interference. Tortious interference. Yeah. Tortious Tor- inter- yeah, just
1: interference. Yeah. Explain,
0: what does that even mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I if I recall correctly, and granted, I'm not a legal expert, hashtag not legal advice. Um, I believe that essentially that, that means that the logo is, or something that the namesake is interfering um, with their business practice or something like that, so uh, we might have to get a legal expert to, to let us know on that. Leave it in the comments or whatnot. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't say I know exactly for sure, but that's my interpretation of it. But you know, as I mentioned before, I just I don't see a pathway to success here. Um, you know there's not even going to be a settlement in this case. Maybe I don't think just because, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a silly lawsuit. On, I hate to say it the way that they are presenting the case in my personal opinion. Um, if they were to try to trademark the name sake, they may have a, a case there, but it's still, when you are going up against the money and the power of the NHL. I just don't think they have a shot to yeah. come out on top.
0: Yeah. tortious interference. It just sounds like a Tim Peel hall. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a
1: makeup call. Yeah.
0: I don't know. So normally, like we mentioned, I, uh, the, our new segment, Huskies warming house, extra ice session. We tried to do it at the 40 minute mark. We're coming up on just a little bit at the 30 minute mark here and kind of expecting it maybe as we move into the summer to be a little bit of a shorter uh, show in general, just because of the lack of substance. And we'll probably be a little bit more NHL heavy as we follow the Minnesota wild. Uh, so we're going to kind of start to move on over to that extra ice session here. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention uh, if listeners are tuning out at this point is that we, um, are hoping to have an interview this week with Brett Larson. Of course, we were trying to catch up with him last week, but he's on vacation in Florida. Good for him. Uh, What much, much, much deserved and coaches conference. Yeah. Well, vacation quote unquote. Yeah. I don't know. Talking hockey is always a vacation. Right. Um, But We're going to try to have an interview with him uh, this week and hopefully have that out as our healthy scratch interview segment for episode number 59. So that does mean we don't have a guest lined up for this week. It's kind of a slow rollout here for the Huskies Warming House podcast, but stick around for the Huskies Warming House extra ice session. We're going to do a deep dive into what it means for the Minnesota Wild and their playoff hopes, what we think the bracket is going to look like, and where do the Minnesota Wild ultimately finish in the NHL playoffs. Welcome into to the Huskies warming house podcast, extra ice session, of course, we're doing a deep dive into the Minnesota wild clinching their playoff spot against the San Jose Sharks yesterday on Saturday. Uh, Nick, first of all, taking a look at the bracket, the only other two teams that we mentioned that have clinched their playoff spots, Vegas and Colorado, respectively, Vegas currently four points ahead of Colorado with, uh, two games, not in hand, if you will, uh, it's separated by four points there. So, uh, kind of anyone's guess to see where the avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights finish as far as the one and two spot. Minnesota, I don't know if I would say they're safely in the third spot, but they kind of seem pretty hard to touch if you're St. Louis or Arizona, who's vying for that fourth and final spot on that docket. Uh, In your opinion here, one, uh, if we go back first to the beginning of the season, did you think, one, that the Minnesota Wild would, one, make the playoffs, but number two, that they would be a third seed in the West right now?
1: I think when we talked about this, you know, a few months ago um, at the start of the season that, you know, we had them kind of pegged as a bubble team, that they would finish kind of in that fourth spot, uh, that St. Louis would be a much better position than they are now. Um, I think we both had Colorado and Vegas sitting at top one and two where they are respectively. Um, But, you know, for this team, you know, as we've watched them over the course of this year, Noah, one thing that we talked about before we started recording this morning was, you know, this team has got some secondary scoring to it. Uh, this team has got a good bottom six in hand and they're playing really, really good hockey right now. Um, and also goaltending has been really, really rock solid. I think that was kind of a question mark coming into this year, um, departing essentially from both Devin Dumnik and then Alex Daylock respectively after he was injured, came back, but he was put on waivers. Uh, so now you have Cam Talbot and Kapil Kakanen, who was a rookie himself, the other rookie on the Minnesota wild spot, who's been playing really, Really, really good hockey between the pipes for the Wild. Um, it, this is a little bit of a surprise for me. because um, so if you actually take a look, uh, Noah, at the standings here for uh, the yeah. National Hockey League in that West Division here, uh, well, they're, they're they're one point away from Colorado, like, and Colorado two games one point half. away from Colorado. My yeah. Colorado two games in hand and then you're only sitting five points away from Vegas and uh, we know how good Vegas is uh, right now. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a surprise. I won't, I won't lie to you. And this team I think is kind of a pseudo dark horse to kind of come out of the West uh, possibly to make a deep run. Now I have my questions and, and some reservations about it, but I do believe they have kind of that dark horse look to them right now that, you know, maybe they could sneak away with between uh, Vegas or Colorado. Um, It kind of depends on that matchup. Uh, I'll have you kind of set up, but uh, yeah, um, I I definitely think it's, I I actually think they're safe in third. I don't think that they are going to drop to fourth. I I just don't see that happening with the, uh, the, the, Uh, how many games are left. I just don't see that happening. Um, I don't think that they eclipse Vegas or Colorado unless both of them fall off of a cliff, which I don't think are going to happen. And so I do think they sit in third and I do think that's where they enter the Stanley Cup playoffs as third in the Honda West division.
0: So it's kind of interesting here. Uh, interesting to think about one Vegas is currently on a nine game winning streak right now. They're nine and one in their last 10 Minnesota is eight, one and one in their last 10 on a seven game win streak. Interestingly enough, as you mentioned, so to break down the points, Vegas, 47 games played 34 wins, 11 losses, two OT losses That's 70 points. That's a seven, four, five winning percentage, not too shabby of a year for the Vegas golden Knights. Uh, interesting. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Minnesota can overtake Colorado. Colorado has a couple of games in hand, and really the Avs have really kind of had Minnesota's number this year in the head-to-head matchups. Not that that makes a whole heck of a lot of difference, but just to point that out there, if it is the two and three matchup that we were talking about, forty-five games for the Colorado Avalanche, thirty-one wins, ten losses, four OT. Uh finishes for 66 points and a 7-3-3 winning percentage. They just are on a one-game losing streak, losing the other night. Minnesota on their seven-game winning streak, 47 games played, the same as Vegas. 31 wins, tying Colorado. 13 losses, though, and three OT finishes, 65 points, one point back, and a 6-9-1 winning percentage. I think I don't know that I would have ever expected this group to be at a 6-9-1 winning percentage. Interestingly enough, as you look at Vegas, plus 57 in the goal column, not bad, plus 53 for Colorado, Minnesota's only at plus 28. So it kind of tells you that, uh, similar to the St. Close state Huskies, when they made their playoff run, uh, you know, when you look back at the regular season, uh, they were a group that, you know, they weren't blowing opponents out of the water. They were kind of this battle tested group that, you know, kind of had the ebbs and flows of winning these tight, close hockey games, which I think bodes well as you move into playoff time, Arizona, like you mentioned, and St. Louis are in four and five, respectively separated by a point. Uh, their goal differentials are minus 22 and minus 11, respectively. So I don't know if the four seed really is having a, uh, gonna have a very good luck of the draw but right now as you mentioned vegas would face arizona currently although st louis has three games in hand so arizona or st louis and then colorado would be the two seed facing minnesota and the winners of each of those series would get each other uh in the second round of the playoffs so nick i want to get your opinion one why are arizona and st louis kind of so far below the top three teams in this conference and then number two Uh, Which team, if any, which which team do you think makes it out
1: of out of the regular season and into the playoffs in that four seed? That's a tough one. Uh, First of all, Arizona has been inconsistent all year. you know, they, the big thing between both these clubs has been goaltending uh, St. Louis extended Jordan Bennington, that five-year deal. Um, he definitely has not had that same season that he had when he won the Stanley cup uh, Arizona. Again, they're just kind of a, an inconsistent team. Uh, they're not getting, uh, you know, sort of that timely goal scoring and there's times where Darcy Kemper also will let in, you know, a few more goals than he probably should. So uh, as you mentioned, minus 22, minus 11, uh, I think somehow St. Louis is going to sneak into this only because if they have that three games in hand right now, remember that they had a pause for us with COVID. And mind you, a lot of Minnesota's remaining games are against St. Louis. So that could factor in it as well. Um, and uh, St. Louis has always given Minnesota fits in recent years, although, you know, defensively, their identity has not been the same this year. So it's a tough draw uh, for them and that in that group. But, uh, you know, that's uh, for those two teams, respectively, they're just there is not Getting the scoring, again, you talk about the goals for 160, 161, and 151, respectively, between Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota. And then it just drops. Arizona, 128. St. Louis, 131. San Jose, 125. But then the goals against us really climb. Again, 150, 142, 163. Uh, So that, to me, is the big difference. Again, just not getting the scoring, and you're not getting the timely stops. And that's why those two are separated between Minnesota by right now. Whoa, geez, was it 19, 18 points? Yeah, 18 points right, right now. Yeah, that's a lot of math.
0: Too much math for me. Uh, One of the things I totally agree with you, I think St. Louis is going to be the team that comes out of this. I I think if anything, with their goaltending woes, uh, the biggest thing is if their goal scorers could even halfway show up, I think they're going to be all right. But again, Minnesota could kind of control Arizona's fate a little bit this week. Like you mentioned, three games and what is it, five days against St. Louis this week. So that could shake things up as well. This Arizona group, though, I, in a weird way, I feel like they're deadlier uh, in the postseason. I don't know if that's an odd thing to say, but like you mentioned, they're wildly inconsistent, but they've been a group that even with Minnesota have shown to be a streaky scoring team. And have given a lot of groups uh, some fits when it comes to uh, their play as well. But again, that consistency piece, I think is a, a big factor. As you mentioned, I think the best case scenario for minnesota to be honest with you if they can't do it themselves again colorado has two games in hand on pretty much everybody in this bracket except for st louis i think the best thing would be if colorado starts to go on a tear and vegas starts to lose games i don't know that i want colorado in the first round if i'm minnesota in that two three matchup you know so i, I think that the best case is either Minnesota or Colorado can slip into that, that one spot there and they don't have to face each other in the first round. I'd like to see Colorado kind of get beat up by whoever they're playing a little bit or at best slash worst, I guess Colorado walks over their first round opponent as the one seed and has to wait a little bit while Minnesota, maybe dukes out a five or six game series. And again, I know that sounds odd to people, but it also means that Minnesota might be a little bit more kind of in rhythm as far as that's concerned, if they can get out of the first round. So let me ask you that, Nick, um, ultimately where do they finish one through four and who wins the one versus four and two versus three matchup
1: to force the second round matchup in the playoffs? Well, that's tough. Um, again, you know, I think it stays where it's at. I think Vegas stays in the one, I think Colorado stays two. Minnesota three. And I think, as you mentioned, I think St. Louis can sneak in over Arizona just because of the games in hand. So you have Vegas over St. Louis, and I hate to say this for Wild fans, but as you mentioned, you're absolutely right. Colorado has just had Minnesota's number this year. Uh, that top line, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen, it's just does not seem to have a defensive answer for that three this year. They have walked all over the last couple of games that they faced them, um, including a pretty big blowout uh, recently against those two squads. So uh, I, I don't have great confidence in that matchup. Now, as you mentioned, if, if somehow Colorado eclipses Vegas, I would rather have that matchup uh, between those two clubs. They play very similar styles. I like uh, the depth, both those teams up against each other. I think Minnesota actually has an edge in the bottom six against Vegas. Um, and just historically, Minnesota has, for whatever reason, played very, very well against the Golden Knights. Uh, so I, that would be the best case scenario for minnesota but i I don't think it moves too much and i think minnesota might be a first round exit uh against the colorado avalanche who i think are maybe destined to do a very deep cup run this year with the with the roster that they have yeah minnesota with the kuro Caprizov getting
0: to the 20 goal mark this year leaves vegas as the only group to not have a rookie that's hit the 20 goal mark yet in franchise history I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here because it's fun. Why not? But I actually do disagree with you. I think Colorado slips in that one spot and here's why one, they have two games in hand. So theoretically, if they win the next two games, they'll be, you know, right up there with Vegas, but two Vegas is on a nine game winning streak. I don't think like I, what I've always seen is that when you're on a nine or 10 game winning streak and take note wild fans on this one, uh, it's usually followed by maybe losing three of your next five or, you know, five of your next seven or something like that. So, and not always, not always. Sometimes teams are just that good. Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning the year before they got bounced in the first round by Columbus. They were a group that just kind of kept the train rolling. And I don't know if they had consecutive losses more than a couple times in that entire year. It was insane. I think Colorado finds a way to really kind of turn it on at this point in the season, especially – I know they had the addition of Devin Dubnick. They're kind of cycling through their goaltenders, and they've had a couple of injury bugs throughout the season. I don't know. I just think they're a group that with two games in hand, they're hungry, they're going to be feeling it. Um, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. Let's put that into perspective. They lost the other night, but their win streak was up there as well. Um, they so, six-game win
1: streak, if I recall.
0: Yeah, so it, it's one of those things where – I don't know. I just think Colorado finds a way to – to slip into that one spot. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going to live and die by the sword here. I think Colorado, like you mentioned, I think St. Louis is going to be in that four spot here. I'm right down the bracket. So we can't cheat on each other here. So, um, and then I got Vegas taking on Minnesota and this is where one, I hope I'm right. Because as you mentioned so eloquently, I think Minnesota has a better edge in that matchup. I actually think Minnesota comes out of that one in six games. I, Colorado comes out of that one against St. Louis, but I think it'll be a lengthier series than, like you mentioned, Colorado versus Minnesota. So looking at the second round matchups, I've got Colorado against Minnesota. You've got Vegas against Colorado. Uh, I think you kind of mentioned it, but who comes out of your Vegas-Colorado matchup to go to the Western Conference final?
1: Actually, I think Vegas stalls Colorado mm-hmm. here in this one. Yeah, see, that's... Uh, see, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And here's why. Mr. Uh, Mr. <clears throat> Mr.
0: I think Colorado's prime for a deep cup run, but you know, Vegas
1: is going to stop that. I'm just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> actually it's the one team that, that has got the X factor and that is Mark Andre Fleury. Um, I think okay. if Mark, if Mark Andre Fleury is, has actually been playing some really good hockey as of late, he could be the one X factor uh, to stop the big guns of McKinnon and Landon, uh, well, Landis and, and Rantanen. Um, and I think Colorado's depth scoring to me um, is not as dangerous as Vegas in, in In this matchup um it's and i I like the physicality matchup too in in this matchup so i'm gonna take vegas and six over colorado for them to be in that west final whoever comes out of that matchup
0: Interesting. I got Colorado over Minnesota in the second round. I think it'll be a hairier series than it would be in the first round, if that makes sense. Uh, I still think Colorado comes out of that one. Uh, I think Colorado punches their ticket to the Western conference final. Uh, Nick, do you have the standings pulled up in the national hockey league by chance? I do. Yes. Yes. Okay. I I figured you were prepared, but I just wanted to make sure the listeners knew you were. Uh, So maybe let's take a look. Let's take a look at the other uh, um, conference in the quote unquote West, if you will. And if I'm not mistaken, do you remember the two brackets Uh, Is it the central that matches up with the west, and then it's the east and the north that are the two eastern ones? Do I have that correct? I believe so. Yes. Okay. We could totally be wrong uh, because that's just what we do on this show is get things wrong. So let's like, let's take a look at the central here. Do you want to kind of maybe do a deep dive ish into uh, just taking a look at the rest of the playoff bracket here? Is that yeah, something sure. that that would be down for? Um, just to see how wrong we really are going to be. So looking in the central, of course, the central looks a little different this year. A couple addition of a couple of uh, Eastern teams that normally are not in this grouping, Carolina sitting first overall at 68 points, Florida, uh at 67 Ooh. but has two games more than any team on this list except for Nashville. 64 points is where Tampa Bay is at in the third spot and then Nashville and Dallas in a dogfight for fourth and fifth at 54 and 52 points respectively. Uh Chicago very narrowly in the mix at the six spot at number 49. I don't think they're going to punch their ticket, but they're are They haven't been mathematically eliminated yet. And then Detroit and Columbus rounding out the eight in that grouping there uh, for you who finishes one through four in that grouping. Uh, and what are the results of those matchups?
1: Um, right where they sit, I, I think Carolina, Florida, Tampa are one, two, and three respectively. And how about the season Florida has had this year? Holy cow. Second year to Joel Quenville. Uh, oh my goodness gracious. A couple of those uh, trades that they got uh, Patrick Hornquist uh, making some some good impact on, on that squad and they the goaltending that they've had. And it's not been Sergey Bobrovsky uh, that, that has currently been leading uh, the charge there. It's been a rookie goaltender themselves. Um, I do think Nashville does uh, steal this fourth spot. I know Dallas has been making a good push. Uh, a lot of injury problems, though. And a lot of injury problems. And so that's why I think Nashville is, is going to have the edge here. So it would be Carolina versus Nashville, Florida versus Tampa. And how about that all Florida um, matchup? Which I think in years past, we would say, old oh, Tampa would be walking all over, but I think this is a very intriguing matchup uh, this year, Noah, between those two clubs, especially uh, we still don't know the status of, uh, of Nikita Kucherov uh, coming back for Tampa Bay. Let's just assume he's back and uh, without uh, some of those cap implications that I think people think that they're, they're kind of skating around, which they are. Let's let's be they, fair. <laughs> they, they, are, they are,
0: but the one thing to add there,
1: though, is that the question mark is if Steven Stamkos isn't back, that might actually alleviate some cap Hit, but you're without one of your best centers. So, hundred percent. So, yeah. I, I think Carolina uh, does take care of Nashville pretty, pretty respectively That's a very dangerous squad, and I'm actually gonna go with this one and say Florida bounces Tampa in the first round there in the Discover Central. I think that we have an upset in the making. I think Florida is on kind of a you call it a, what do you call it just a, a sensational kind of a uh, just, just a run right now, and I want to see that continue. So, I think Florida takes care of Tampa. Yeah, I you know it's I actually agree
0: with you 100%. I think this Florida group is as dangerous as we've seen since maybe 1996. To be honest with you, the last Florida group that we saw that was even remotely this dangerous, I think, uh, was honestly. Uh, what was it 2016 2017 where they got bounced by John Tavares on that wraparound in game six I thought that group if they push that one to game seven maybe had a good chance as well but I definitely agree with you I think Tampa Bay I think they're just unfortunately for being defending Stanley Cup champions I just don't know that they have the makeup uh, unfortunately to kind of continue that success because they've just had inconsistent lineups you know that's the biggest thing And it just seems like with Tampa they always just have the injury bug that really has kept them down I agree with you on Nashville as well um I don't think Nashville is going to be any sort of a test for Carolina, although we've seen crazier things happen. That Nashville group just has been decimated by injury as well. And I have not been impressed with their game. They're minus five in the goal differential, plus 14 for Dallas, who's trying to sneak up on them. But I don't think either of those opponents has a chance against Carolina, like you mentioned. Interesting as you look. So, um, I know you haven't pulled up. I was going to quiz you there, but I'm like, oh, he's got it pulled up on his, uh, his computer screen. So I'll just read it for the listeners here. Plus 39 gold differential for Carolina, plus 25 for Florida, and plus 34 for Tampa Bay. So don't get me wrong. Tampa Bay is a team that I think uh, is offensively loaded for bear. They just unfortunately haven't had any consistency in their lineup with some of their big guns being back. So that one will be a war though. I mean, don't, don't be shocked if Tampa Bay, comes out of that one if they do indeed get forward in the first round that that's going to be must watch much watch must watch hockey <laughs> if and, i can and, say and
1: it and you talk about marker and fleury been the x factor how about andre vasilevsky um for tampa bay he could absolutely steal that series yeah. as well he's without a doubt in my mind the best goaltender in the national hockey league uh i think he's even eclipsed Kerry price at this point just because Kerry price again he dealt with concussion uh, he hasn't really been this same this year too and i think a lot of that also is a team in front of him uh but i think you know if it's if it's for tampa to come out of florida it's going to be a uh, vast gonna have to steal a couple of games from him in that series i mean he's no martin jones but no
0: i'm just kidding san jose fans your goaltender sucks though anyway so (laughs) moving
1: into that second round matchup we both have carolina and florida who you have coming out of that one Carolina. I I just think they're the deeper team. Uh, I love the job Rod Brennamore has done with that squad. Uh, That squad buys into everything that they want. He's passionate. That group plays so well together. I think Carolina is also primed for uh, another good run here. And I think they do eclipse Florida in a seven game series, which would be a very big war on ice between those two squads.
0: Yeah. I, um, I agree with your seven-game assessment. I'm going with Florida on this one. Um, I believe that that group uh, is kind of a dark horse candidate uh, just because I like the makeup of their group. I think they're a group that – Kind of reminds me of the Minnesota wild in 2014, the year that they took care of the abs in seven games in the first round, where they maybe weren't the quote unquote deepest team on paper, but I think they have good cohesion up and down their lineup. And, uh, how about, uh, is it Nikus or Nis, Nisius? Oh Nishis. my gosh. What a hockey player he is uh for Carolina on that side. So there's a guy that, uh, I think if you're Florida, you got to watch out for, but again, it's going to come down to goaltending in that matchup at, um, for that, and I don't know. I don't really know who has the edge. I just, I'm feeling Florida. I can't really explain it
1: <laughs> for for my lack of hockey knowledge. I can't really explain it. I just think that they're, it's close. They're, it's know? close. um And you know, what's what's? It's funny that you know, when we talk about the the Central and the West, and you, know, you have these, you know, three solid teams, and you have you know, sort of that, you know two team battle for the fourth I, you know, it's, it's intriguing. Those top three, there's not much that separates them here in the central, at least I think um, the West, you know, I think Colorado, again, you have that big three, Nathan McKinnon there, who maybe sticks out a little bit, but Vegas, you can't, you know, take away from Max Petrietti, Mark stone. Um, you know, they got a couple big guns there. And then for Minnesota, Kirill Kaprizov who um, has been as advertised um, for the Minnesota wild he's, this year, he's been, he's set, been okay. so fun to watch. He's been Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just okay right
0: yeah he's been he's been unreal so nick moving into the last 10 minutes here we've got two more divisions to get to here your conferences whatever divisions or divisions holy smokes you can tell that it's been a week off for the boys here so moving over to the mass mutual east conference here nick if you want to pull that one up We've got Washington sitting in first place at 66 points, Pittsburgh right behind them at 65 points. Wild fans not happy to see that one as far as first round draft picks are concerned, hoping they were going to drop off the face of the earth. The New York Islanders also 48 games played sitting at 63 points, respectively. And Boston with two games in hand at 60 points and then I suppose the dark horse candidate, the New York Rangers. Who I thought have had an okay year, just really haven't gotten a whole lot of bounces, 48 games played for them and 54 points. I think they might be all but eliminated, but you never know. Crazier things have happened in hockey. Nick, who do you have in the one through four spot here
1: in the mass mutual East? Uh, exactly as it reads. Uh, I think, <laughs> is that, is that, is that your trend here? Is that your, theme? it kind of is a trend. Yeah. I just, well, it's so late to the season too. I just, you know, I, I don't see a whole lot of movement. Um, Washington, uh, I, the only question I have with Washington is, you know, how Alex Ovestian doing on the, on the injury front that might flip between Pittsburgh and Washington one, two, but I think the Islanders and Boston round out three and four. Um, so I'll just stick with my guns there, Washington, Pittsburgh, Islanders and Boston. And how about the Rangers? Um, who I think if they didn't have as tough of a start here, Noah, would have been uh, kind of a bit more in the mix with this. They're at plus 30 in goal differential. Uh, they've had a nice bounce back second half of the shortened season. And I think, again, without that tough start, they may have been a little bit higher and would have make more competing for that fourth spot. And as you mentioned, crazier things have happened. They're only six points back, so three games. But, again, they played two more games in Boston, who sits in fourth. So I think it's going to be a, a tougher battle. But I want to talk about this, though, before we get to the, um, to the matchups, is how big of a disappointment has the Philadelphia Flyers been this year? Holy buckets! I mean, can you imagine uh, this team with you know with the pr- they had a really good start number one, and then they just seem to hit a wall, and uh, they just haven't really been able to get the train the train back on the tracks. Uh, I would think that there's going to be some major changes coming to the Philadelphia Flyers organization coming this off season, which I think is coming very shortly. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, I don't know what it was about that
0: group, and they were a group that it's funny because last year kind of went on a tear before COVID hit. They're just a group with Chuck Fletcher, former Minnesota Wild GM at the helm. They're just a streaky team. You know what I mean? And and I don't know what it is where it just seems like if their offense and their goaltending is great, their defensive core is struggling. If their goaltenders are struggling, their offense and defense look all right, but they're not getting the saves they need. Or their offense dries up, but defensively and goaltenders, they're holding them in a game, but they can't find a way to get over the hump. Just kind of a – I don't want to say a comedy of errors, but I don't really know what else to call it. It's just – kind of have been a really odd season for Flyers fans. It's probably because uh, NBC Philadelphia got rid of Katie Emmer. That's probably what the problem is, to be honest <laughs> with you, Nick. Um, sorry, shots fired there. Uh, so I'm going to go uh, almost similar to yours here. Washington's going to match up with the New York Islanders, who are going to be in four, and Pittsburgh and Boston are at the two and three respectively. I think Boston, with two games in hand, makes a late-season push. Uh, they're seven and three in their last ten. Boston is against a five, four, and one New York Islanders group that uh, – I. I think the Islanders actually are probably a deadlier matchup for Washington than people will give them credit for very stingy defensive group under Barry Trotz. I always like the Islanders. They kind of remind me, they're like the, the modified and improved 2017 Ottawa senators, if you will, where they just play a nice defensive structure. So again, I've got Washington against the Islanders, but Pittsburgh against Boston, Nick, you've got Washington against Boston and Pittsburgh against the Islanders. So Washington,
1: Boston, who do you got? Washington on that one. And then I have Pittsburgh Coming out against the Islanders, I just, uh, I just think uh, as stingy as the Islanders are, they've had struggles with Pittsburgh this year, and uh, I, I think uh, the the Penguins is, is not as good news for Minnesota Wild fans who are again hoping for uh, a higher uh, secondary first round pick. Uh, their hopes are gone, so I think it's going to be Penn's Caps uh, again coming into the second round here in the Mass Mutual East. I always loved ever
0: since I was a kid the the people who used to put on put on uh, social media, the pens versus caps, right? Like, you know, the actual pens, like the writing utensil versus the caps off the pen. I don't know. I was, it's cheesy, but I love it. So I think that'd be a fun matchup Uh, for me. I got the New York Islanders beating the Washington capitals in round number one. How about that one for you? I think I like the matchup with Barry Trotz. He knows the system in Washington. Obviously it's changed quite a bit, but I don't know. I like the defensive structure. I think that there's one team that could give the capitals fits. I think it's them. And that's going to be my outrageous, I think, pick. So far in the East is the New York Islanders. I think Pittsburgh comes out against Boston. I think that'll be a good series. So that'll be a gritty series. Um, so I'm going to actually go hot take here. I'm going to go with the New York Islanders to make the conference final. How about that one? Um, again, I just, I love defensive teams come playoff time. Um, I, I like them in the, the past years as well. And then they really didn't show up on the, on the offensive side as well, but I like the New York Islanders. I'm going to stick with them. Uh, you've got Washington and Pittsburgh, which, wow.
1: Have we seen that second round matchup a time or two in the past decade or so? Not once. Um, not once at all. Um, I think, that I think Pittsburgh comes out of this. I think they head over to the Eastern conference finals. I just like, uh, again, when you get Sidney Crosby down the middle, uh, and, and I think, uh, with Jason Zucker being relegated to the third line, he's actually had better production uh, as of late. Um, and again, uh, some of those depth pieces the Pittsburgh, I think they come out of that and uh, head over to the Eastern conference final over the caps. Yeah. I, how about that? Jason
0: Zucker. I miss Jason Zucker. He used to be my favorite player, but, uh, I don't know. Do you have a speaking of which?
1: While I pull up just eclipse, go ahead. Go ahead. Just eclipse, just eclipse 600 National Hockey League games, by the way. So he hit a milestone just recently. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. I, um, I got to figure out, I don't really know who my new favorite player
0: is. I mean, it's easy to say Kaprizov for the Minnesota Wild, but I don't know. I like Kevin Fiala's game. Um, You know, there's a guy that I also like on the Minnesota Wild. He's not my favorite player, but uh, I love Nico Stern's game as well. There's a guy that doesn't get highlighted very much in my personal opinion. But anyway, moving on to Scotia North here, our final one, the all Canadian division, if you will. And that's a division that I think that a lot of people have been keeping their eyes on and really hasn't been as, I don't want to say as competitive, but it's been kind of a little more lopsided uh, ish. I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. It's just, it's just a weird group where it seems like nobody can really get on like a hot streak. If that makes sense, maybe Toronto, if any team, but this group is just kind of beat up on each other, if you will. So we're looking here right now, Toronto, 48 games played 65 points. They're kind of the lone group that I think stays where they're going to stay. Winnipeg at 57 points, uh, Edmonton at 56 points with two games in hand on Winnipeg, three games in hand on Toronto and Montreal with one game in hand on Winnipeg at 49 points. And then you've got Calgary with a game, one game more played than Montreal at 45 points. I think Calgary season is done. Vancouver and Ottawa rounding out the bottom two in that bracket. Nick,
1: who do you got here for one versus four? I'm actually gonna throw you a curveball. So Toronto, I think is a bona fide number one. I do think Edmonton sneaks up in the second. I think Winnipeg slides to third. And you know, it's funny if you looked at the recent streaks here, Montreal and Calgary just played each other twice. And Calgary just beat Montreal twice. So it was an eight point gap between those two squads. And now it's done to four and Calgary has been playing a little bit better hockey as of late uh, Calgary, um, Five and five, Montreal three and seven. I'm going to go with the Surge of the Flames and say they are going to somehow piss off Mark uh, Mark Bergevin and everybody in Quebec province and Calgary's in the Eclipse, Montreal to be your fourth spot. And they're the ones that are going to end up making the postseason to face Toronto in the first round with Edmonton hosting Winnipeg also in that first round as well. I, I've i never seen Canadians to get too animated about their hockey. Have you? I don't know, (laughs) you know, it's funny, you know, if you want to really want to trigger Canadian hockey fans, you know, the reason why they did the Scotia North was not because of the quarantine was because they were sick, was it two years ago when not a single Canadian team made the postseason? Well, now they have four. So they just had to, they just had to, you know, get a pandemic as an excuse to, to, to mark four and into the, into the, into the fold. So. You went, you went there. I went there. there. I All right. went there. All right, fair. All right, I'm going to take a look here. Uh,
0: like you mentioned, I think Toronto definitely in that one spot. Um, I think the Jets don't relinquish second place. I like them down the stretch. I think Connor Hellbuck's had a really nice year. Edmonton, though, uh, that's going to be a heck of a war, regardless of who is the home home team, if you will, um, if I can figure out how to write and talk at the same same time here. Uh, Montreal sticks to number four because I think if Carey Price returns in the next couple of games, I don't think Calgary has a shot. Um, sorry, flames fans. Um, I was rooting for you in 04 And I think you still got screwed over in 04, but you're not making the playoffs this year. I apologize. So I got Toronto facing Montreal and I've got Winnipeg hosting Edmonton. So if I can write that down real hot here, Nick, you've got Toronto versus Calgary, Edmonton
1: versus Winnipeg. Who do you have here? Uh, I, th- I think Toronto does extinguish the Flames, unfortunately, even though they go on a ceremonious little run to sneak into the play- playoffs. I think Toronto's just too deep of a squad. And then I have the Winnipeg Jets actually as the third squad upsetting the Edmonton Oilers. I do agree with you that Connor Hellebuck to me looks really good. I like Winnipeg as a team, especially if Blake Wheeler is healthy. I know he's been kind of off and on uh, with, with, with some upper body issues. So, but if he's in, Uh, Winnipeg to me is just a tougher matchup for Edmonton. So I like Winnipeg over the Oilers in the first round. Yeah, I like that as well. Uh, Toronto, I think Toronto sneaks out of that
0: one. It's all going to come down to goaltending. Is Carey Price going to be the guy that steals the, quote-unquote, steals the series, if you will, like he did against Pittsburgh last year? Although I thought the defensive effort from Montreal last year was really nice. Pittsburgh had a lot more problems in that series than just goaltending, if you will. Uh, I, I agree with you as well. I think Winnipeg comes out of that second grouping, but that Edmonton-Winnipeg series is going to be a war, an absolute war. So we both have Toronto and Winnipeg somehow making it against each other. Who do
1: you got? I'm going to trigger least fans, Winnipeg. <laughs> Toronto to still is going to find a way to lose in the second round. Um, again, Freddie Anderson uh, is not going to have a great, uh, a great series and Winnipeg with Connor Hellebuck with uh, you know, a couple of really good, uh, you know, s- just some really good overall team play. And I really like Kyle Connor. Um, I really like Mark Shifley. Um, I like the blue end of Winnipeg. Um, I think they, they, they shut down Austin Matthews and, you uh, they, they shut down Mitch Marner, um, I, you know, Joe Thornton. I don't know how he's still skating. They should have a walker on when he's out there. Um, but at the end of it, I think Winnipeg uh, takes down Toronto to really just make uh, that city burn to the ground and it's Winnipeg going into the Eastern conference final um, against the Maple Leafs. I think the biggest hot take we've had in this entire thing is that we had Toronto getting out of the first round. There's
0: our biggest <laughs> thing, <laughs> but I'm actually going to take the Leafs on this one. I think this is the year they finally punched their ticket. Uh, what better year would it be than a, than a COVID year, if you will. Um, <laughs> but I think Toronto, I think this is the year where their depth finally is able to punch the way through. And I think they're going to do it in unceremonious fashion. I think this is going to be a group that, you're finally going to start to see some of that physical engagement some from some of the leaders. And I think it's going to be a group that finds a way through like gritty, wacky hockey games where they're maybe outplayed through various stretches of the games and then finds a way to hang in there. I don't know. I just feel something different about this Toronto group this year. I feel like that's all my picks where I just feel something different and then watch all my picks be wrong. But nonetheless, They're all locked in. They're all on the the trusty note cards that I have here. So we're going to take a look. Wrapping up the show here, Nick, at just over an hour. What is your one key for the Minnesota Wild finishing out the regular season to have good success and good traction moving into the
1: playoffs? They've been most successful when their transition game is going Uh, to me when they play North South hockey. um, Again, you know, last couple of games where they're able to just transition again. I love the skating ability of our back end. And I think that's a big key for this squad uh, because on the four check, I mean, Marcus Foligno, Nico Sturm, Zach Parisi, uh, Ryan Hartman, uh, this group, Eric Sinek. I mean, this group is absolutely suffocating on the forecheck. And then you put in the skill guys like Kaprizov, Kevin Fiala, uh, just to name a few on that squad. Uh, they've got a lot of tools in the, in the, in the tool basket. But um, again, I think getting out of their own zone quickly and efficiently to allow them to play in the offensive zone is going to be key. Um, I, I really like our goaltending, but uh, to me, if you spend more time on the forecheck, I think we're a little susceptible. In our own zone, if we stick there for about 30 to 45 seconds. But, you know, again, easy, clean breakouts, get the pucks deep, and uh, I think they're good to go. Kind of to piggyback off of yours, and also how about the fact great signing of Ryan Hartman
0: for the next three years? Love that team friendly deal. Also, a guy that has the same number of points as Zach Parisi, sitting like fifth or sixth in points, has had a really good year, uh, especially playing some bottom six minutes. Uh, but to your point, as you mentioned about uh, kind of the depth scoring and, you know, the liability potentially in your own zone. I think the key for Minnesota to keep the train rolling is putting players, your skill guys like Kirill Kaprizov and some of these younger guys, putting them in defensive situations and giving them defensive responsibility late in the season and game. So if you have a three to two hockey game where you're trying to hold a lead um, and you're have a defensive zone draw, put Kaprizov's line out there, let them kind of work through a little bit of that defensive piece of that. I know like don't put them out there and hope that they're, they can hang on and you maybe give the game away, but I think putting players like that in that more defensively responsible structure so that when it comes playoff time, that ice starts to shrink, you know, there's not a lot of open space there. Guys like that are more understanding of how to play in the corners and, and battle. Not that Kaprizov hasn't done that, but again, the time and space is going to shrink on Corral when it comes into playoff time. So I think having him be comfortable one with the limited ice that he might see, in the postseason and two with a defensive responsibility that might be required uh, to hang on for a shift to keep the boys in it in a 2-2 game against colorado in the postseason i think that's my key is getting guys to play a 200 foot game and understand that it might not be a flashy tic-tac-toe play that's going to end up being the difference maker in the postseason so a little more grit a little more defensive structure on that end although minnesota's defensive structure historically has been very good and then like you mentioned a great net miner and cam talbot in front of them so i'm excited I'm excited because I think if we, if we were being honest, we wanted to see this Minnesota Wild group make the postseason. Um, but if they made the postseason, we wanted them to sneak it or like, emphatically kick the door in and be in the postseason. We didn't want them to sneak in and maybe lose out on a potentially good draft pick or something. We wanted them to kind of be a group that solidified their ticket early, and they have. They've had a great season at 31 wins uh, on the year. So
1: with that being said, Nick, do you have anything else to add for the Huskies Warming House podcast? Other than the fact, uh, welcome back, fans. Uh, You know, it's, it's been a good week off. Um, You know, we're definitely excited to welcome in Brett Larson sometime this week to kind of break down the season, as well as talk about the returners, um, as well as some of the new guys coming in, Uh, Jack Perk, Mason's uh, Mason Solquist, And uh, I'm forgetting Josh Ludecky, I believe is the three guys that have signed NLIs. So we'll touch base with him and they can't look forward to, uh, to that interview coming up sometime this week. Yeah, it should be good. Like we mentioned, no
0: healthy scratch interview segment this week, but we're working on next week. Like Nick just said, Stay tuned, of course, for episode number 59 next Sunday, and then Brett Larson on the Healthy Scratch Interview segment. And that will do it for episode number 58 here in the den.
1: one timer they score! In! A bomb from Perfix. So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies, along. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! For the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. A game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.